0: to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. The committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George. Try and straight line it, get to the line, and we'll see what happens. Paris trying to cut off Hamilton, and <laughs> go straight on. This is quite appalling. This is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified, a racing podcast by two gentlemen with no business being in this business. I am Graham Harris, joined by Gerald Carter. Gee, it's great to see you. I got a topo in one hand, a bourbon in the other. I got a new microphone position. It's My eyes aren't covered anymore. I can see you. I'm feeling frisky with a PH, man. How are you this evening?
1: Man, between uh, an awesome race weekend and America's birthday and your recent engagement and vacation, you are just probably living on cloud nine, man. You look great. You're just glowing.
0: Thanks, man. Well, right back at you. You look tan. It could be the lighting. It's definitely the lighting.
1: Yeah. Well, and a little bit of that thin mountain air up here is definitely uh, taking its toll. So.
0: so have you seen all you need to see to change your mind about the sprint race weekend format? And have we have we totally I'm, I'm prepared to listen to your 180.
1: I was hoping that we could get more than 30 seconds into this episode before you <laughs> forced me to uh, uh, recant my past positions. But um, no, overall, I'm going to stick by my guns. I still hate it overall. I think it is worse than the normal format. Albeit, I think this weekend probably had to be the best sprint weekend since they've started, certainly this year, um, top to finish, I thought the weekend was exciting. The sprint was exciting. Mixed grid, mixed weather. Couldn't ask for for much more. How about you? Well,
0: yeah, I, it was definitely the best sprint for sure. I think like we've talked about before, we don't need to re the weekend format, but um, the... Um, the one-shot qualifying just doesn't do it for me for the sprint. It just feels like a wasted session. Uh, but, I mean, we say this about races and sprints alike. When weather comes into play, you have the opportunity for strategy to win races or win a lot of points. And that just adds another dimension to the, you know, to the to the weekend. And I think we've been starved for, like, very dynamic strategy kind of driven races anyway especially because all your kind of previous points about the tire your pit windows not being as dynamic and um, the race is being a bit more one dimensional from a strategy standpoint this year. So yeah, I think we were a bit starved, but also yes, it was with the rain, a very dynamic sprint. Um, yeah. It seemed I, like I watched every bit of it. I,
1: I did as well. Again, I feel like, Maybe we care more because we have to kind of like prepare for this show, but it's tough to like keep everything straight by the end of it. I'm like, wait, was that that qualifying or the other qualifying or the sprint or the race? So it all just sort of gets congealed into kind of one big event, which I guess is probably the intention. And I I don't know how I really feel about the, the manipulation of the standings as a result of the sprint outcome. For example, you know, Hulkenberg showed up in – really both qualifyings, but certainly in sprint qualifying starting on the second row and then nabbed his team three points. Well, that was like 50% of their points. That puts them ahead of Alfa Romeo now in points. So is that right? I don't know, but I think, um, so that, that creates yeah. some, what? some uniqueness, but I think it was the stars aligned again. I mean, the fact that you can have over 20 something laps, rain, stop track, dry necessitating a pit stop with enough time that still allows drivers to like have it be worth their while to pit and make up positions. That's a small window for that to happen. And I think most of all, it's all aided by the fact that Austria is just kind of the quintessential or ideal track for this generation of, of cars.
0: You're, you're highlighting an interesting, uh, so uh, let's say, how many sprints are on the calendar this year? Five, six, I, I think it was six, right? Six. All right, so let's say they make it 12 next year. Is that enough sprints for a team to look at that and possibly say, huh, I think I'm going to make a sprint specialist car because I think that winning sprints, I've got a better chance to basically move from 10th to 7th in the constructors. You know, winning sprints isn't going to take you from 4th to 2nd in the constructors, right? The points aren't substantial enough, but it could definitely take you from 10th to 7th. To your point, because down that order, three points is very material, right? And those cars aren't going the distance in a Grand Prix anyway. So, like, could that be an unintended consequence of F1 if they ramp up the number of sprints that they might have teams biasing their strategy to basically giving up on Grand Prix distances? Just trying to score points? I I don't know. I think you're correct in
1: the fact that it's a bigger boon for teams further down the grid because... Large teams are, the gaps are probably going to be wide enough in this day and age where it's not going to make that big of a difference, and those same teams are going to perform reasonably well, right, where they're probably in the mix and getting those couple of points anyway. But yeah, I think it's the small teams that happen to perform well on a weekend, shorter distance, but I don't think it's going to change how teams try to optimize their cars because... I mean, you look at Haas, arguably they have done that this season. They are really good in qualifying, good over relatively short distances, but they pay for that with high degradation, which typically causes them to fall off, you know, over a longer race distance. So I just think you'd be making your life harder across the board just for potentially some qualifying positions. But I mean, I think if you wanted to think about it, you've already seen it with Haas and it's, it's overall a. A Formula 4, you need a driver who can deliver in qualifying, and even when he can, he's just left to just slowly slide down the grid in like a painful show of defense for 60 to 70 laps.
0: Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is in a nice way, it's a loser's mentality, which it's, means it's perfect for Haas. So m- good on him. Good on him. Enjoy your three points. <laughs> hey, that's that
1: team's looking pretty in seventh right now. So to your point, better than ninth. Um, all right, well, let's, um, well, with the sprint, I mean, I think we've touched on a lot of this, right? We had some evolving conditions. The, the big news from the sprint had to be on lap one, uh, Perez couldn't get it together in the race qualifying, but, uh, started in second for the sprint qualifying, ultimately leading to a couple of tussles on lap one, Perez making a move, turn one, getting by max only to them, push him into the grass in what is called turn two, but not really. Um, and then leading Max to ultimately get alongside Perez in turn three and then push him off the track. Um, after the race, I was surprised. There was a little bit of, yeah, I, was, I appreciated how candid Perez was of like, yeah, I made the move on Max. Max was pretty mad, and so he pushed me off in turn three. Um, but it seems like they were able to talk it out pretty quickly. What was your uh, what was your take on the on-track action and then I guess the professionalism after the fact in, in their sort of quick debrief?
0: I mean, if I was on the Red Bull pit wall, can you imagine how small their buttholes were? <laughs> like, that was so close to being a, a Mercedes Barcelona moment or a Baku Red Bull moment. Like, in the wet, you had two diff, two consecutive turns, real turns on one and three, where a guy went up the inside on a wet track and basically tried, just hoped it would stick. Otherwise, he was taking his teammate out. And then you had Perez push for onto wet grass on a straightaway, <laughs> and none of none of it caused an accident, which is actually a small miracle. Um, I overall would say I was impressed by the professionalism. Like they they talked to me after the race; they seemed to handle it like adults. If I'm putting fault on, you know, one or the other, I don't know. It's kind of hard to assign. Perez deserved the lead based on his jump off the grid out of the grid box. Like, he got away better than Max, like, no question. And I think he earned turn one. I think he was a bit unfair to Max in turn, turn two, quote-unquote. And then Max just, I mean, how he made that stick, I will never know. Like, I, he, he you know, one of those reckless abandoned moves, he's like, I know my teammate's not going to turn into me, so, like, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, you think
1: he made the turn as close it- as he could, or do you think the car... And the car was like genuinely carried him that far. Or do you think he, oh, he, he pushed, opened up he, the? You think he, he opened put, up the steering? He opened it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He,
0: well, he just delayed the full lock. I think is a fair way to. When I watched it the first time, I was like, he probably thought he was going to slide if he went full lock like too early because he carried so much speed in it. But who knows, man? Like, I have no idea if he had gotten the car turned. I just like, think he was
1: fully. He was not concerned in the pissed. least about Perez having to to go off track to make the corner. Let's just say that.
0: No, he did not care where Perez was going. So, no, I... I love it. it I love the retribution. You know, eye for an eye. I I do, too. And, again, if Max is nothing else, he's consistent (laughs) in the application of his (laughs) principles. (laughs) So (laughs) good for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all the Red Bull haters out there, like my brother, who were hoping for the finally the blow-up, you know, inter-team controversy, the Rosberg hamilton moment. I believe this is about as close as they've come to getting it. Like that was on a knife's edge of being really bad, inexpensive. And it just goes
1: to show like at every moment that Max has the opportunity to to pr- prove his quality as a driver, he does so, All right, Holding the line on the grass, still maintaining pace enough to pass down that straight without DRS. You know, just the consistency is is super impressive. So credit to him. And my thought is, Sure, you know, when you're a race car driver, you're always going to maximize any moment. But it's like, Perez, dude, you are not in the position to like be asserting yourself at this point in time. Like you should just be happy. You're sitting up well, there in P2 at this point and not in the back of the what grid you, okay, okay, battling on, with Magnussen
0: and DeVries. What when you say asserting himself, okay, if I get off out of my grid box better than the guy next to me and I just like don't take turn one. I'm not racing it no, Go for the I, pass not, on not go around. for the
1: pass on turn one. But after that, like, what are you doing on the other half? Like, you could leave half a
0: grid. Or half he, a he, half the he, he put, track. He pushed him wide in turn two, quote unquote. Uh he claims he didn't see him. I don't know if I believe that, but like. I don't know, man. I I didn't think it was like unforgivably malicious in either direction.
1: Well. Red Bull aside, Mercedes had a tough weekend when it came to the sprint. Started pretty low in the grid, but um, probably the best start of the year. I mean, by both drivers making up, what, four or five positions right out of the gate. So clearly strong at a standstill, even on the wet. Meanwhile, Norris, amazing sprint qualifying starting in the second row, but unfortunately falling off um, as he was right behind that Perez and Verstappen tussle. But I think it led to one of my favorite parts of the whole weekend, but certainly the sprint race, which was the whole Ocon, Leclerc, Norris battle, right? It's like, those are kind of the the drivers you want to see battling, three separate teams, super close. Um, that was just fun action to watch as a part of the the sprint race.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. As much as I don't like Ocon, you know, being... Grouped together with two other world class drivers, but uh, yeah, sure, I agree. I I would just take Norris and Leclerc, uh, maybe drizzle on a little Perez, I'd be happy. But well, fortunately, Perez wasn't that maybe far Lonzo. down the grid
1: this weekend, so or uh, in the yeah, sprint, that's, so um, that's
0: fair. Well,
1: an interest, probably the most interesting part though of the sprint was the the strategy, right? A lot of drivers opting to stay on inters throughout the duration of the sprint, but Russell again, uh, being the bold one, switching to slicks first. Um, out of the grid quickly there, followed by Hulkenberg and Albon seemed to work for Russell and Hulkenberg. But unfortunately, even though Albon qualified in Q3 in the sprint, he was kind of just caught in no man's land of, he couldn't risk not pitting because Russell was coming behind him. So it seemed like a cover him off kind of thing, but also not enough time and speed to, to make up the positions while it worked out for, for Hulkenberg and the, uh, the qualifying Kings of, of Haas.
0: Yeah. I mean, Russell calling his own number again obviously makes a habit of doing that. Uh, it blows up spectacularly when it doesn't work, but when it does work, it's a thing of beauty. So, About 50-50, uh, I think. <laughs> I think his batting average is generously five hundred, but I, you know, fortune favors the bold. So, good on him. And he uh, he did a service for the rest
1: of the for the rest of the sprint at least. So, from a fan's perspective, we we owe him that.
0: Anything else on the sprint or should we uh, move to the, the actual race? No, let's uh, let's go to... Oh, actually, I do have... What happened to Norris in turn three? Did he get damage? Like, he was... Because he was in it and then all of a sudden he... What, he basically... Where did he finish in the sprint? No, I think... He, if I
1: recall correctly, I thought... I can't remember if he was right behind Verstappen or Perez, but I think he just had to... He had no momentum out of the corner because of who he was caught behind. And so... You know, the couple of people right behind him just had had better lines out and I think passed him on that straight into into turn four. And I think because of the fact that he qualified higher than the car probably deserved by and large, um he wasn't able to really make that make that back. All right. Well, when we're turning to the race, um look, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure how the whole damn thing finished up after all the. Penalties after the fact.
0: Uh, <laughs> seemed like a <laughs> great race. <laughs> 1,200 reviews, reviewed laps post mortem. What do, I even, what do yeah, you mean? What that? is it?
1: 1,700 or something? Was it 12 out of 17? It's so basically like all of the laps.
0: Uh, yeah. It's like we went to VAR for every play in this well, game. Well, and multiple drivers got penalties the score.
1: during the race. And if I, my number's right, I think eight drivers after the fact
0: got penalties. So. Yeah, signs dropped from fourth to six. He was the one that got hit the hardest to sixth. Yeah, he lost two spots. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then, which, and then you know, that's salt like, in the wound for Hamilton. Points. He dropped only one place, but it was behind his teammate who he had beaten by nine seconds. Right. So it's one right. of those situations of well, maybe if the man knew before the end of the fucking race, he could have driven a little faster on the last couple
0: laps. But uh, I I don't know where you want to start on this track limits thing, but I'm gonna tell you it's gonna take me about five seconds to get hot under the collar. Uh, that's why I wore a V-neck tonight. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to trap too much heat.
1: Well, let's just give the the quick headline and then dive into all things track limits. I mean, look, Verstappen start to finish, uh, pull, win, and fastest lap. Much to the uh, much against the advisement of his team, uh, pulled off another dominating performance. Ferrari looked like they were on pace for a two-three finish, um, only to have Perez ultimately catch signs after a great battle, and then subsequently a bunch of track limit shenanigans bumped him even further down the grid. Uh, Perez with a solid recovery drive from 15th after not even putting up a a time. In Q2, due to track limits, Aston and Merck both struggled throughout the weekend. Norris showed up again in Austria, aided by, at least in some part, car upgrades and then uh gasly popping into the points after making a Q3 appearance so maybe a little bit of the the tide turning for uh uh-huh. for him
0: but while his while his while his country literally burns that's
1: okay. he's the uh, he's, you got to have some kind of bright spot i guess and if it's not a if it's not a 10th position what is um well so with that though, the big headline was obviously the, the track limits infringement multiple during the race. I mean, you saw Perez in qualifying with track limits during the race, multiple drivers complaining. First, it was Norris against Hamilton as he was putting pressure on Hamilton, ultimately Hamilton getting that penalty during the race signs, getting the penalty during the race, um, which was a contributing factor for him get, landing in what was fourth, ultimately sixth, um, but then lots of protests from Hamilton on Norris trying to get a position back only to have Aston Martin after the race protest to the stewards about a lack of of penalties up from track limits. And then big penalties coming after the fact, like we said, eight drivers with uh, with penalties while he was invisible for most of the race. He was also clearly invisible to the stewards. Ocon accumulating 30 seconds in penalties after the fact on four separate penalties. DeVries with 15 seconds. Signs Hamilton, Albon, Gasly, Sargent, all with 10 seconds, and Porsenota with a with throwing on another five as well. I mean, what's your overall impression of the race, given the the ultimate outcome and the impacts of of track limits and if at all, is there a solution that can be implemented?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh it's not really a race anymore. It's like a game of Keniazzi. Like <laughs> I don't like I, I you you genuinely like watching the grid order in the middle of the race is pointless because y- any driver is plus or minus three positions from where they currently stand on merit. And it's like it's not a race anymore. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think my general takeaway before we get into all the specifics is I don't think anybody loses more when the outcome is more rules driven than it is driver driven on the track. I don't think anybody loses more than the fans. It just makes the races, especially in the final, like third, incredibly hard to be compelled by because you can't. You, you don't feel like you can trust the result, especially when it comes to the podium. I mean, good God, like, how would this play out when, you know, everybody's bitching about Red Bull being too far out in front of it ruining the sport. Well, careful what you wish for, because if Red Bull was in the middle of the pack with everybody else and you were doing shit like this, it would be total train wreck. You wouldn't know how to trust a podium. Well, God forbid, per- like, or,
1: uh, signs finishes on the podium only to have it sort of booted yeah. for Perez up into third.
0: Well, that's kind of my point is like F1, if F1 cannot design rules so that at the close of a race, the people standing on the podium getting showered with confetti can't reliably remain there. Like that's your, that's your job. Like that's your number one job. So it's like, for me, it's like, if you care that much about track limits, then you need to invest in automation so that the penalties come out in real time. Or you decide that you're, going to prime it's why what, what's your philosophy if that's your philosophy fine stick to it or your philosophy can be i want physical barriers to primarily reign supreme rather than rules-based ones and 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 then you need to stick to that philosophy right now they're in this you know depending on the track they're in either world tiptoeing into both and then they're not applying the rules consistent consistently and it's just a giant mess so i i This is the type of thing for me that makes formula one unwatchable. If it continues in perpetuity, I I genuinely hate it that much. Well, so
1: I think you're right. The two options are either better automation and doing it real time or what, if you did the physical barriers, would you say, okay, on this specific track, there's no track limits and we'll let the physical barriers be the deterrence.
0: So the physical barrier thing is an interesting topic because so that, um, on the post-race show, uh, Sky or on F1 TV Pro, they had—I um, can't remember the guy's oh, name, F1 but he TV was Pro. one of the wow, big spender. Well, you've got <laughs> F1 TV Pro. Shut the hell up! That's how you watch all the races. Don't even they put me on. Don't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they had a guy on the post-race show that worked for the contractor that built the Red Bull Ring, mm-hmm. and they were discussing how to handle track limits and the kind of constant debate is like gravel traps, right? If you put gravel traps on the outside of turns, that's the physical barrier that prevent guys from going wide, which is a simple solution. Monza does that. A lot of tracks that are like that, but the problem I mean, with Austria that is, does that, right? In, in some parts. Well, in certain turns. Yep. Yeah. but just nine and 10 are the problem jobs, right? And, and they happen to be ones where you can pick up a lot of lap time. And it's also like literally 30% of the turns on the track. <laughs> because there's only like nine real ones. So uh, they, uh, but the problem with gravel is that most tracks aren't only built to host F1 races and Austria hosts a lot of MotoGP and you can't have motorcycles sliding off into gravel and guys rolling around in it. So the guy on the broadcast, his point basically was, it's all about the type of curb that you use. So basically the notion being is the curb tall enough to unsettle the car or damage the car if you hit it? And there's a lot of tracks in the Middle East that use those, and guys know at those tracks, like, don't go on the curbs, right? And sometimes and they're positioned really in stupid
1: you- spots, like on the inside like, of a corner and...
0: Right, which is dumb, but but I think his point was, you to solve it, you have to commit to a non-standard curb design at any given track, where you choose the curb bespoke to the turn Specifically for Formula One, based on how the guys will drive that. Tournament. Yeah, it's almost like you'd have to a sausage like,
1: instead of it being parallel to the the line. You could do something like consecutive speed bumps, exactly. right? Where it's just horrible on exactly. the suspension, right?
0: A hundred percent. But you still can leave long runoff of concrete for MotoGP and keep it safe for those guys. Um, but that that was he unpacked it like really effectively, and he was, and then basically Tom Clarkson was like. So you built the track, are you going to go fix it? And he was like, well, somebody's got to pay me, (laughs) essentially, right? Like, but the answer seemed very clear to him. So I'm like, this is solvable, right? Like, you just have to have the track care enough. Uh, And surely after this year, they will. I mean, Jesus. Yeah,
1: I guess, I mean, I'd be fine with the physical barriers. I think that introduces a whole other set of problems, right? Where now somebody does it, they have a front wing damage. Now they're that's sitting on the track. Now we have to safety car, yellow flag it because of that. Like, I feel like there's unintended consequences with that. I guess where I have a hard time understanding why the the automated solution is not feasible. Because in all reality, like you said, it's really only by and large, the entry and exit
0: of turn 10, need two cameras, literally two cameras, two cameras.
1: And even if you wanted to do manual review of all instances that those cameras flag as potential violations, it's not like you have to have people watching every camera on every corner. It's those two cameras on that one corner. And you could have multiple people with a you know swipe left for not track limits swipe right for track limit right like how easy would it be to have our greener and red button and be able to say yep that was a violation or not in more or less real time but i also think you could probably have the technology that you could automate and why not do sampling testing and then you know that you have a high high fidelity solution i mean if we have lasers that can track like car finishing down to the thousandth of a second we we don't have any sort of visual visual recognition technology that can see that that white line appears after the cars moved to the left of the line. Like
0: I, I you're not going to tell me the technology doesn't exist in tennis. They can track the landing spot of a tennis ball relative to the white line to the millimeter uh, instantly, literally instantly in soccer. They've got VIR for the ball crossing the goal line. Now, like it's all about having the camera angles and the correct software, but the technology hundred percent exists And so, yeah, I think to your point, it's just about them investing in it. And I I guess I'm not opposed to a world where the rules are enforced that strictly on track limits is if it's just super efficient, like I don't have a problem with it. If it's instantaneous, I really don't. And the drivers can bitch them on all they want, but like if it's objective and rules based and automated, then like it is what it is. And they'll learn to live within that, but if they're not going to invest in that, then the cheaper option is the physical barrier, which to me is like the minimum requirement. And right now they're not do, even doing that. Yeah. So.
1: Well, and and as you said, I think the, the saddest part is in the lack of like strategic response that teams can take, right? Take the Hamilton and Russell thing. He finishes nine seconds ahead. If you told him, yeah, you got another 10 seconds of penalties. All right. He's doing something hammer different. Time. Yeah. Hammer time. And same thing up and down the grid in all those instances. Teams are going to make different decisions about pitch strategy, pacing, drivers are going to do different things. And it's just going to lead to like a better quality of racing that you get to watch in real time instead of, I feel like what's worse is it's almost like it'd be better to not do any of it during the race and just say, drive your race, do what you're going to do, and we'll give you the penalties at the end. Because you have situations where, you know, both signs and Hamilton getting double penalties. Signs, for example, his his pit stop was longer than an additional five seconds. I think his pit in total was like nine seconds, which you know three plus five would be eight, really seven and a half if you have a good pit. All right, well that was another one and a half one second of pitting that impacted ultimately his position as well. Yeah,
0: Whereas if in reality Ocon, but
1: Ocon got a clean thirty second. Penalty, right? So I just think even in that kind of instance, yes, drivers right. who were penalized on track are sort of potentially getting additional harm versus those who avoided it during the race and were able to take their penalty solely after the fact.
0: You're 100 percent right. That the that the myth the um the varied time of applying the rules creates inequity in team strategy. No doubt about it, like hundred percent. Um but also Do you think drivers should be penalized more for bitching and trying to rat out other drivers on the track? Here's my thing. I, why would you, you're already distracted enough by so many things. Why would you spend half the race complaining about rules violations of other drivers and make yourself more distracted? That annoyed me almost more than the actual track limits issue by itself. So this be some sort of like no flopping rule. Yes, exactly. Mm. No, 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 no flopping, no bitching from the driver's seat. They've stopped the team principals from calling the race stewards in the middle of the race. So they ought to, you know, shut down these indirect appeals from drivers for rules violations.
1: I would frame it a bit. I, I would frame it a bit differently. I don't know that I view it as as flopping as much as I view them as whistleblowers. You know, I think and that should be encouraged and rewarded you mentioned the the conversations oh, being God. banned between the principals and the and the race, or the race director i think both of those things were the most fascinating things of the sport the whole like political maneuvering of the team principals with the race director and then the multitasking of the drivers thinking through strategy but then also penalties i think the driver radio is is still one of the best and most unique things about F1. And so absolutely not. I think it should be encouraged.
0: I think uh, you should have three challenge flags as an F1 driver. And if you throw a challenge, but you're wrong, you lose three seconds on your finishing time. Wow. But if you're right, the other driver, you know, gets. So what the would constitute uh, throwing the flag? Like just Hamilton
1: making a claim that Norris is, has been over track limits multiple times. And if he's, he's found you know, to be the wrong driver
0: appeal. The driver appeals to the team, the team, the team makes a formal challenge, and then it gets adjudicated. And if the driver was wrong, it's three seconds off. There's got to be some type of recourse. I, I don't, What I don't want is this clickbait bullshit of guys just throwing out baseless accusations just to try and take somebody down in front of them. Like, I, I, it, there's got to, you know, like, I, I don't want it to get too cheap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm okay with accusations as long as I'm sure that there's some substance behind them. You know, and I just got tired of listening to Hamilton over and over and over again. Just be- And I, I get it wasn't fair, but it's just like, dude, like, everybody was tattletaling out there, man. Literally, the only guy that wasn't tattletaling was Max because he couldn't see anyone else. Like, everybody else had something to say. About track limits, and it was it just got well.
1: Really and ironically, crazy. he had something to like, say about track limits after like missing one lap in qualifying. He was pissed about the, <laughs> the track <laughs> yeah. limits. Meanwhile, his teammate can't get one lap on the board. Well, it's funny that you say that because I always thought you oh, had a a penchant for uh, investigations predicated on baseless accusations, but I guess not in terms of M one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and I think the the problem with that whole. You know, you institute some complexity of challenge rules as then you run the risk of the pendulum swinging the other way and they're sort of being conspiracies contrived of whether or not their challenges would, was rejected for political reasons. For example, I will note, it seemed like Hamilton, a very experienced driver, made claims that Norris exceeded track limits as well as Perez and I noticed neither of those drivers received any penalties. Seems a bit suspicious.
0: Max didn't get any track limit penalties in the race either, did he? Didn't he? Because he probably didn't have
1: to drive like more than (laughs) eighty-five percent. He's just cruising, man. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. I look. I'm not. If they really, Gerald, if they really took the time to review twelve hundred laps post mortem and then issue penalties, do you really think they specifically chose a couple drivers to not evaluate? Like, really? Come on. Well, once again,
1: I think the the biggest. Praise has to be given to the Aston Martin team for lodging the complaint. And was their team him at the factory? Lobbyists. I mean, were they just did immediately after the fact? They had people checking on their drivers and they were like, nope, we're good. Let's go fuck everyone Dude. else now. Like, good on we're, them.
0: You know that Lawrence Stroll already has the Canadian legislature just wrapped around his finger. So this is just easy work for him, yeah. man. He knows, he knows this, this game. Is a tried and
1: true <laughs> playbook. It's
0: he's like, he's like, you've always got this engineering locked down. This is the shit I'm here for, man. It's winning arts and minds with some cold hard Canadian cash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some, uh, some loonies. Um, I'm gonna give you more coins that don't work in drink machines than you could ever imagine. <laughs> oh
1: man. So track limits. We think we've, uh, <laughs> you think we've exhausted that as a topic.
0: I think so. Uh, so what? let's make sure we agree with the solution in your mind. Is it automated enforcement or is it physical barriers? If you had to gun head, pick one.
1: I think when we've seen it on other tracks, I feel like the, the sausage curbs just create more issues when it comes to floor damage, wing damage, yellow flags. Oh, don't hit them. Sure. But so I think the automated solution is perfectly apparent. It doesn't cause any sort of adverse damage to the cars and in real time would enable teams to re- either incur the penalties and think it's worth the risk or at least be able to then respond based on whether they or their competitors got the, the penalty. So I'm all in on the automated solution and an army of people doing manual review if you need find the need to do 100% quality review.
0: I'm physical barriers guy. Uh, I want the Jeopardy and I ultimately want it to come down to whether the driver got the right line or not. And I'm all down for penalties existing if he doesn't. And hey, give a cost cap allocation for higher damage in a year if that's what it takes. But physical barriers all the way, man. I don't want to live in this robot driven world. (laughs) What's happened? It's fucking I I robot utopia. I'm supposed to be the uh, anti-technologist. Yeah, well, you chose your throne, so sit on it, bitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've seen the light, the blue light. Um, All right. (laughs) Well, let's jump to individual teams. I think we've hit on a lot of good topics uh, as we've gone. But starting with Red Bull, 1-3 finish, as we've said, Verstappen leading every step of the way. I think we covered off on the controversy between those two in the sprint race. But Perez, um, while he looked fine in the sprint, early qualifying after just one practice session, did not seem to have the car underneath him, maybe feeling a bit under the weather. And I also think the, the short track, narrow margins, I mean, what, Q3 was defined by four-tenths of a second across the top 10. So, I mean, tight margins. And so I think with that pressure, ultimately went beyond track limits every single time within Q2, ultimately finishing 12th. Uh, I mean, I guess, look, he didn't crash in qualifying last week, and at least he made it to Q2 this week. So can we at least consider this uh, progress?
0: I, I, I'm getting real tired of your tongue-in-cheek, Perez, questions. I, yes, it was pro- certainly progress. It was not perfect. All the stereotypes are still true. He's not a qualifier. It was a recovery drive that was probably better than it should have been and generally is better than the last 3 or 4 weeks. So am I impressed? No. Am I happy about him being kind of back on the right path? Yes.
1: Do you give him a pass Please. for uh for being sick during practice and qualifying no. as a rationalization?
0: No. No, that's de- that's scr- that's the definition of scraping the bottom of the barrel. This was not a Michael Jordan flu game. He shows up and drops 60 with a 102 degree fever. Like I he looked perfectly fine in the interviews and I generally don't have a lot of sympathy for guys who are professional athletes showing up and doing sports when they're sick. Cause you know, they got access to like all the freaking drugs and medicine they need to be feeling their best when they get in the car. So whatever I, you know, unless you're, you know, literally shitting out of your mouth for three days and dehydrated as hell. I, I just don't have a lot of, a lot of sympathy for your illnesses. I'm sorry. Now. Yeah. If you had like malaria or something like, okay. But like at I, that man. point, I think the only man on the
1: grid who could, who could still drive would be Lance stroll at that point. The Iron Man himself.
0: I don't. I don't. Oh God! I was like, I didn't get that joke, and then I realized it wasn't really a joke. And you actually meant that because you <laughs> love Lance. Stroll, so, uh, so oh, do you think? God. Do you think
1: Perez's recovery from fifteenth to third was uh, sufficient?
0: Uh, given where he started, yes, I think his race performance was as good as he could have done. I don't think there was a scenario where he was catching Leclerc. Um, given that Ferrari was kind of better than expected, uh, racecraft was good. He avoided mistakes. You know, signs gave him a tougher battle than he was probably expecting, but he got through. Um He got aggressive early, but he didn't get too aggressive. Kind of calibrated the risk well. Yeah, I think it was a good performance. But still, like, not ideal in the sense that you don't want to make yourself have to do that. Um And, you know, also his race pace is just clearly still a step behind Max's, even in his best stint. So, um, I mean, what, what, I mean, what else can you say? He's not going to win a world tri- title. Like, what do you, what do you want to hear me say? Say though, it again. I want you, you to say that and say it again. <laughs> say, he's not going to. I never, but Gerald. I've never sat in this in front of this microphone at any point and and defended Perez's potential to win a world title at any point this season. No one has ever tried to take that from Max. And you just like are just you're like so defensive about it, just unnecessarily. Like I've not, I've never sat here and said Perez is a world world championship worthy driver. Never, like. I just want him to be a great number two driver. And, you know, for a little while there, he wasn't really even doing that. So, like, that's what we're trying to get back to, right? Is like the two tenths off max race pace in a good car, going to win second in the driver's championship. Like, that's his highest aspiration as a driver. And, you know, maybe we're back on track for that. What is that? Is that what what else you want me to say? That seems sufficient.
1: I'm satisfied. You want me
0: to say some mean things about Mexicans? Like what, what, what would make you happy? I'm sure that would probably help. Yeah.
1: No, <laughs> I think, I think the gap in the race craft, right. Was the biggest observation from the, from the weekend. You're right. Para or Leclerc seemed a little bit too far, especially given the conditions of the race, right. Kind of DRS train for a while. The fact that the safety car, you know, happened when it did. Um, but the trying, the attempt to pass, um, russell and then the battle with with um signs i guess was the indicator of you know it, it shouldn't have taken him three laps to learn the lesson of kind of the drs the drs game that signs was was playing
0: yeah so i, I mean that was a, that was a clinic from science i don't want to take anything away from him man that was um that was some pretty world class defending, if you ask me. And
1: I said so. safety car. Was there even but a safety they, car in this race? Did I get that totally mixed up with the? Uh, no, that there, was messed no, up with the. There sprint, was a yellow. Right?
0: The, yeah. They. they yes. Yeah, correct. Yeah.
1: yeah so I, I think it was not the safety car, but I think just the the DRS trains that happened when the it was more of this in
0: well, the race,
1: like when the pit strategies happened and who he got kind of stuck behind after he came out. Still, so it, it was just kind of slow going through the middle of the field until he well, he got a little bit more
0: clean air. Remember, there was a safety car at the beginning of the race, but it was because Bottas got turned around. But then he got it flicked back on. So they, they brought the safety car, and then they quickly brought it back in. So it was like a half lap, like to full lap.
1: Yes, but that's what, that's what triggered the the first pit stop, right? But Perez and Verstappen uh, did not pit under under that, right? Or was that... Could, I see, I get all this fucking shit now mixed
0: I, up with the fucking sprint, dude. Uh, <laughs> yes, that is what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah Yes, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And then they stayed out and then Max had overtake on track. Yeah. Yeah. During the second stint. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I feel like it just it made his race a little bit harder in certain ways. But yeah, the the signs battle, I think, showed the the gap in racecraft where you see Max going against some of these guys. And it's like it's one corner and it's done. Like there's no there's no question. But pro- um, I think props I, to signs, though, because I think it did show his savvy in ways that Leclerc has gotten praised for over the moon for how sneaky he uh, was in the battles with Max. And I think signs expertly pulled those same moves and,
0: and defended incredibly, incredibly well. So, but before we sneak on to Ferrari, do you care to comment on Max's uh, fastest lap pit stop at the end? Oh, hell yeah. I love it.
1: I think, I, I don't know whether it's, I, I fully support it. People would say it's a gamble because you know, anything could happen in a pit stop, but they have consistently the best pit team In the sport. And so, I mean, relative risk is is quite low that taking into account. I just don't know whether it's it's more of Max's mentality of just like utter domination and just maximizing the win or he's just getting bored up there. And he's like, well, what can what can I do to make this a little bit more
0: interesting? I mean, this lovingly, and I promise this isn't a joke. I pictured your face when he did it and it made me mad. <laughs> made me mad. I feel
1: like that's most of the times you would picture my face, though. So, <laughs> not sure that's much different. I just,
0: your smug, just, just face, it just made me mad. I, 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 to your question, I think it's just his mentality. You know, uh, somebody in the post race tried to make a connection and it's like, oh, well, who did you take the fastest lap away from? And they were like, Perez. And they were like, yeah, it's about Max and Checo And he just doesn't want to check it. I, I doubt that. Could have been anybody. I think it's. Yeah, he's just one of these guys that just has no chill, and he just has a philosophy that if there's a point available, he's going to go for it, and he doesn't give a damn about the risk. And, um, I mean, I'll spoil, I'll spoil my personal podium for later. I mean, it's going to be the Red Bull pit crew from this weekend because it's kind of wild that, like, you know, because they're all watching the race, they know the circumstances, they know if they, you know, have a late wheel gun by three seconds, they might lose, like. Let's go out and execute, you know, 2.2 second stop. I and mean, it's just like all work is easy. It's pretty,
1: well, I think I like the, it's easy. I like Max's confidence in his team too. It's like, sure that risk exists, but I don't think like he wasn't processing. Yeah. that. It was like, I have the gap. I'm going to come out this ahead. It's going to be, you know, the pit's going to be fine. Like I like the, the expectation that he always has. Right. And you see that with other top tier drivers, like Hamilton, they expect the best and hold their teams accountable when they don't. But like, I don't even think that crossed his mind that the team was going to somehow make the mistake on a pit.
0: Tell you what, you're not going to see a Ferrari driver doing that anytime soon <laughs> in the same circumstances. they
1: would be like, what's the, what's the margin like, of error? Three seconds? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stay out. They don't even want to pit Dude. during <laughs> no. the race like when they need to. So much less They're the like, why,
0: left. Why don't you lap. Why don't you just strap some run flats onto this guy, you know, with, with some steel rims at the beginning of the race, so I'd never have to see you guys again until I cross the finish line. <laughs>
1: Well, let's uh, let's save our, our Ferrari pit crew and, and strategy discussion for a moment. Uh, looking at Mercedes, I mean, look, they, they finished 7th and 8th, albeit Rus- Hamilton behind Russell due to the 10-second penalty, um, although Hamilton started in 5th and Russell down in 11th. So good, solid drive from Russell. Didn't do anything spectacular, but let the race come to him and, in particular, drivers with penalties. So good on him as we've said, had to be salt in the wound for Hamilton getting bumped a position after complaining about uh, penalties for others and then incurring him, them for himself after the race. Um, and But the team really seemed to struggle in both qualifying sessions, starting pretty low, um, lower than they'd like. Is there too much to read into the kind of the limited improvement, I guess you would say over where we thought, Oh, they're going to be rising rapidly now. And they seem to have struggled a bit. And, and I guess what are your expectations as you look ahead to, to Silverstone? I,
0: you know, I think there's people often overlook how heavily they should be weighting like a team's historical performance at a track. And this has just not been a stronghold for Mercedes, you know? Um, if we're having this conversation after Silverstone this weekend, then, like, okay. That now, we may be, be asking some questions, but uh, no, I, I think it's very likely that it could be track-specific. I think the bigger issue for Mercedes is, like, I'm getting sick of Toto Wolf making excuses to Lewis Hamilton for that car's performance on Team Radio. That's embarrassing. Like, that shit needs to stop, man. Like, they're on their second spec of car, and he is still, Lewis, we know this car sucks. Please drive it. Like, And every race engineer at Mercedes who's ever worked on that car ever is listening to him say that. And it's like, dude, these guys are grinding. Like, trying to make this concept, new concept work. And on its basically second real race to show its true performance, you're just out there just throwing it under the bus to your driver. Like, that cannot feel good if you're middle management in the aero department at Mercedes. Like, seriously, like, that, that to me is like... The big uh, otherwise they had a home weekend. I'm not overly concerned about it. Whatever. That to me is like the thing that sticks out the most.
1: Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's a little unfortunate to see from your your sort of world championship caliber driver. And especially when he is so composed and encouraging and, you know, still we rise. You'd like especially with the context of this is not your strongest track. And it are arguably is a much stronger track for Ferrari and you take Ferrari out of it you're not really in a bad position at the end of the race assuming you don't get 15 seconds of of penalties. So Norris is sort of the the true outlier here and so yeah it just seemed like limited like perspective I guess on the overall season which you know sometimes Hamilton has amazing perspective and then sometimes you know he's very sensitive to you know his perceived underperformance. Um look to give him some credit after the fact, you know he acknowledged yeah, probably didn't have the best attitude, but I want this team to be better, and and so I think he accepted responsibility for it, which you always appreciate. But when you compare it to the hyper high expectations that Verstappen has a Red Bull, or even the weird kind of creepy love that Alonso has for Aston Martin at the present moment, where they like can do no wrong, it just it it puts Hamilton I think in a, a bit of a negative light compared to you know where his, his peers are at the moment.
0: But- my criticism Ferrari drivers campus, aside, because so. any
1: frustration they have with yeah. their team is fully justified.
0: Yeah, but my my frustration is more with Toto. It's just like, dude, just choose slightly different words. Be like, you don't have to say the car sucks. Please drive it. Just be like, this is a tough race. Please drive. Like, you don't have to just keep saying that your car sucks to your driver to try and make an excuse, like to make him feel better by the fact that he's Yeah, frustrated. so it's more like about Andy Toto, Brown, like. Man kind of babying Hamilton by yeah. like feeling like he needs to do that, it's, right? It It's Toto throwing the team under the bus to make excuses to Hamilton about the car sucking to make Hamilton feel better about the underperformance. Like, almost as like a apologizing on the team's behalf. And I bet there's engineers sitting back at Bricksworth and Brackley mm. who are like, no, fuck that, man. Like, I've been working my ass off on this car just because we're having a bad week. It doesn't mean you need to just out us to the driver just because he's pissed in the middle of the race mm. on a global broadcast. So you think it's broadcast. a more like, morale
1: like, ruiner that that Toto's kind of...
0: Yeah, back to the factory. Yeah. I, if Again, if I'm that's in your the CEO. middle management in the air yeah. department. Yeah, that's your CEO, dude. Like middle management in the air department and I'm listening to my CEO after, again, we went to a B-Spec car and we're grinding to make this concept work. We've shown progress and he's just going to like, shit on it to make the driver feel better. Like F that. Yeah, at least man. the driver like, has
1: that sort of like, comp- you know, the competitive spirit excuse, right? Like caught up in the moment and the adrenaline yeah. where certainly ah, Toto, Toto, should, Toto should be able to carry that better. Well, it's almost, it, it's almost a parallel to like how GP handles max, right? When he's frustrated, he's like, no, like it's just a firm hand. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Any, no, like any, proceed or we'll talk about it later. i heard him
0: say, yep. And remember that, um, remember the, the pit. I can't remember what, track it was late last year, but they had the pit strategy kind of snafu that made him kind of uh put him out in uh early in a race and he GP's like, we win and lose together. You know, Max is like getting pissed on and GP just immediately comes on, we win and lose together head down. You know? And it's just like you that's the type of tone that you want your principal to set on a radio. Like he's speaking for the entire team. Like and he's just going to throw literally the entire engineering department under the bus and be like, yeah, sorry, like everybody sucks at their job. You know, you're great. We apologize. Please don't be mad at us. Like, dude, that's so weak. So, you that's think they so need to like
1: call, you think these, uh, his co owners of the team are going to like have to call him into a room and be like, dude, you got to stop saying our well, car shit when we're fucking sitting in second place, right? <laughs> like,
0: I don't know who, I don't know who brand in Mercedes damage. can tell, I don't know who in Mercedes can tell To anything because, uh, You know how the the whole um, Ryan Reynolds kind of celebrity conglomerate bought whatever, 25% of Alpine, and the post-money valuation was like $900 People started publishing estimates for the other team valuations, and Mercedes was like two and a half to three, which means Toto is a billionaire based on his ownership of Mercedes alone. So I don't know that anybody can really tell him anything. (laughs) Like at the end of the day.
1: So cut wherever I was. I think I saw a comment or, or an article somewhere. It was like, did you think they already had to call him in to, to get some anger management after he was like breaking Bo's headphones? And and that was like a reputational issue. You haven't really seen that level of frustration from him. So maybe not. Maybe it's just easier days anyway. But to your point, it sounds like it's probably not anybody making a call for for Toto to do much of anything that he doesn't want to do at this point. He's sort of a made, made man. All right, well, let's hit on Aston Martin real quick now that we've uh, dwelled there on, on Mercedes for a bit. Uh, average weekend, again, as we said, for the team, still kind of finished as though they're the, the third or fourth best team on the grid, where you know Alonzo being the third best team on the grid, Stroll being the fifth best team, so they kind of net out somewhere in a three and a half to four. Um, basically, Alonzo single-handedly tying Hamilton and Russell with, with 10 points this weekend, albeit, uh, or I'm sorry, in the race, albeit, on the back of some signs and Hamilton penalties. But Stroll dropping down from um, sixth to ultimately finish ninth. But he did jump Gasly uh, on Gasly's post-race penalties for a, a clean two points. So don't let anybody tell you Stroll's not contributing to the bottom line uh
0: (laughs) good good for him can we move on to the next team
1: (laughs) nothing to cover you think the do you think the party's over overall kind of over for them at this point and they're they're still kind of sliding back or again you think it's a a similar story where it's it's really just ferrari this this track suits them especially with kind of their their degradation issues
0: yeah i mean we're about to get to ferrari but i i don't i don't really buy it so on that basis alone i i i'm not Riding off Aston Martin not even so
1: you're close. expecting a good a good battle back with with Mercedes and Aston Martin next uh next race in Silverstone
0: yeah and again like I, how am I going to count out a team I think I've made this point before I'm not going to count out a team that basically made a five-team leap up the order unexpectedly in one off season like I'm if they, if they can do that they're clearly capable of making big steps in intra season so anything's I'm not gonna, possible I'm not going to write them off yeah no
1: Well, with that then, let's get to our favorite part of every episode, talking about Ferrari.
0: Ferrari fuckery.
1: (laughs) Time for the fuckery. So we got Leclerc starting second, finished second on the front row with Max. Qualified just half a tenth behind Verstappen. So once again, showing his worth in qualifying. Meanwhile, a rough day for signs and uh, and track limits, taking a penalty during the race, followed by 10 seconds after the race, ultimately dropping him from fourth to sixth place. Um, I think the, the question that we've left asking ourselves each week with this team is, what is the reaction and the takeaways from Ferrari's strategy this week? A couple of the instances which you can react to are you know, the team questioning Leclerc about um, his interest in a three-stop strategy, their slow double stack um, when so- signs is basically wanting to stay out, and then the the call not to allow signs to pass Leclerc despite sitting behind him, you know, under a second for numerous laps early in the race. What's your what's your reactions?
0: I think they just need to, you know print out one of those like flat Stanley cutouts of Carlos signs, you know, and put the, the pit wall headset on him and just let him be the race strategist, you know, in addition to the driver. Cause at this point, like I think it'd be more productive for just like when he says stuff into the headset for just nobody to respond to him, you know, like he should just make it up as he goes. Cause that's basically how they're operating. And I just, it continues to blow my mind how much sway the drivers have on track to influence strategy. Like, it just, it never ceases to amaze me. It is like, every time I hear it, I then think to myself, the very next thought is, did you guys, like, literally not come into this race with a plan? Like, there was no plan. Like, you just, or or if you had one, you put 30 seconds of thought into it, and you have no problem with it being overridden by the first comment from the driver once the race. Like, it just... It, to me, like the stupidity that flows through those interactions supersedes any weekend where they outperform on track for any reason. I just, I'll never get over this. I literally will never get over this until whoever the hell Carlos Sainz's race engineer and Leclerc's race engineer is like gets a new job. I just won't get over it.
1: Well, it feels like LeClaire is finally over it. You know, they asked him just like a cold, hard No. Like, as we yeah. were kind of joking about, <laughs> nobody wants to come into the pits. LeClaire doesn't want to come in a third time. Sainz doesn't want to come in a first time. Nobody wants to fuck with the pit stops. Um, I guess where I would disagree was they made LeClaire... So they they, they held their ground with signs, right? But I think where they fell short once again was the fact that they weren't firm enough with signs, right? Signs continues totally. to push and to push into LeClaire... With this idea that somehow if they let him buy Leclerc, he has this opportunity to go and attack Max. And it's like, at certain point, the team needs to come on the radio and, and say, there is no way in hell we are beating Red Bull today. <laughs> the best shot we have is to hold off Perez. So we need you to stay two seconds behind Leclerc, preserve your tires, not go outside of track limits. And maybe we'll have a chance to to hold off Perez and get a double podium, which is a huge win for us. And I instead think- of finishing second and third, they finished second and sixth. So they, they didn't have a firm enough hand. And I think it also goes to the fact that did they not think about that in their strategy planning? As you said, did they have no plan for the idea that you're probably not beating Max and your biggest threat is still Perez coming from behind? So how are you ensuring that that doesn't happen and... Telling your driver to create a manageable gap where he's conserving tires, not getting track limits violations, and you're not double stacking them when they're too close together were all things that they could have mitigated if they had a clear strategic direction and a firmer hand with, with their driver.
0: I mean, I think you should start looking for tickets to Marinella, my man, because you you just you just might have earned yourself a job as Ferrari's chief strategist. Sound pretty qualified to me? Oh, that made way too much sense, you know. <laughs> That's why I
1: would never cut it there. I would, they should, would I, they would cut me out of the uh, the interview process for my he, my stark display of logic.
0: Dude, you 100% could not live in Italy. The, the infrastructure would just drive you. Insane. Oh my god, oh, my daily- <laughs> it's like it's like Philly, but worse. Yeah, oh, definitely worse, yeah, which is saying something, because uh, <laughs> th- literally last night, the city of Philadelphia, they were two and a half hours late firing off their city fireworks, and by the time they shot him, it was like 11 p.m., and everyone was asleep, <laughs> and then it just kept me awake, like, God, get your shit Why together. were they so late? Dude, who the fuck knows? They said in Philly weather, fuckery, but, dude, Philly fuckery. Yeah, man, it's like... It literally, yeah, it was like the Ferrari pit wall was over there lighting fireworks. It was like, oh, this is going well.
1: Well, I think the funniest part of the whole race had to be—I don't know which broadcast you were watching, but Coulthard on the on the uh, on the F1, on the F one broadcast. At one point, I can't remember what the what the comment was, but Signs is—I <laughs> think it was um uh, race engineer comes on and has this like very dry, sort of mechanical voice, and Coulthard goes. Was that a was that a robot? (laughs) And I think he was like genuine of like was that like an AI recording?
0: Pre-recorded,
1: and it was like no, that's just Ferrari's strategy—a pre-recorded robotic attempt at at race strategy. Oh man, so very very (laughs) telling.
0: I love Coulthard, man, Uh, because he's also I like him too because he does. He Red Bull guy Ribbon at heart, and,
1: and he doesn't really care about the details either. Like it's no. he's much more about like the big picture, <laughs> no. and he's like he'll say shit wrong all the time. I'm like was I and then like Jake's left to be like no, actually it was uh, this and this was the they are like yeah. oh all right cool, Side very note, casual.
0: In the F one game, I signed David Coulthard as my teammate for my uh, you know Harris Racing team. He's been whooping my ass. He's properly really quick. He's, he's got, got some you were gonna get the old vet and oh, have an easy no, win. No, dude, I got Coulthard in his prime. He's got some serious <laughs> race pace, like serious <laughs> race pace.
1: Oh man! Anyway, if only. Definitely well, not Simon. Whereas he's performing how he's doing, he might as well bring in Coulthard. Um, <laughs> all right, well, on. I think we <laughs> ah, come on one more dig. Um, well, and I think, um, I think we've already covered this off enough, but Ferrari obviously looked great here. Questions of, do we expect this sort of second place pace to continue? My claim would be no. Once again, I think the track suits them really well. Limited number of corners, hard braking zones with low speed exits, kind of less lateral dag. We get to Silverstone. It's going to be a much different story. And I think you'll see the same sort of degradation issues resurface and they'll be back to a, a comfortable fourth place.
0: I, I, I agree. I think it is. It is like, yeah, I think it's more likely than not. They will get beat by Aston Martin and Mercedes at Silverstone.
1: Mercedes and Alonso.
0: <laughs> C- correct. Yeah. Okay. Let's
1: just be clear. Not Aston Martin, but, yeah. but Alonzo correct. in specific. Correct. Yeah. Okay.
0: Al- Alonzo racing incorporated. <laughs> yeah. driver number re- one rename the team Kamoa
1: they should just have two separate teams They're, the troll should just be their Alphatari. oh
0: dude um, wouldn't you wouldn't you love a car livery with the Kamoa colors you know like the it's like the parakeet blue and green and orange oh that would look awesome look like a pack of summer Starburst
1: mm, hmm. mm-mm. Um, all right so with that being said Alpine um, <laughs> next topic <laughs> All right, McLaren. France is burning.
0: France is burning. What do you want me to say? uh,
1: When Alpine's the best thing they got going on, (laughs) times are are tough.
0: Uh, They interviewed Atmar after the race, and uh, they were asking him about the relative performance of McLaren, and they were like, are you worried at all? And he was like, well, well, hopefully it's (laughs) 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 track-specific. About McLaren. (laughs) 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 You're like, oh. Yeah. You guys are worried. Okay. Yeah. you t- He's totally fun, deferred
1: up. to hope at this point.
0: <laughs> oh, he's, he's like, yeah, we got some upgrades coming in a couple weeks, but uh, hopefully it's track specific.
1: Well, time will, time will tell. And it does feel like not even track specific, but Norris specific at that. Dude. I mean, he always does quite well. So once again, a bit of an outlier for, for him, it seems on the calendar. I think again, truer pace to be seen um, in Silverstone for both the teams, but again, Gasly outperforming Ocon again. And so while he he's really struggled at the beginning of the season, it seems like, you know, now a little bit less than halfway through the season, he, he seems to be getting comfortable with the car, which I think is what you'd like to see with an experienced driver on a new team. It, this seems about on pace with how quickly, he, you know, you'd like like him to pick it up.
0: This is the most evenly matched and simultaneously mediocre driver pairing on the grid by far.
1: They could be third and fourth, and you'd say the same thing about about these two guys. So let's be honest: your your bias knows no limits.
0: They both have zero PR value. They both do nothing exceptional or exciting in qualifying, other than Ocon at Monaco it was like the one outlier example.
1: It does seem like Gasly's PR value was entirely tied to his his sort of cute relationship with, with Sonoda. Now that that's, yes, hundred percent, you know, now that that's gone, you know, it's clearly like Sonoda was the one that brought the, Oh, brought he's the, a novelty. The joy. Yeah. Sonoda is the true novelty here. Yeah. hundred Be- percent. Yeah. Become crystal clear. Um. All right. Well then moving to McLaren, which has at least a little bit more intrigue, Norris, incredibly strong all weekend front row in the sprint looked good Um, in the race, challenging Hamilton, ultimately putting him into, going over track limits and, and taking that penalty. So good on him. Meanwhile, Piastri started further down the grid, didn't quite have the, the qualifying position and then had some front wing damage, um, you know, as they were sort of four cars in a DRS train going around turn four. So a little bit unfortunate for him. He also didn't have the car upgrades. Um, so supposedly those will be coming for him in Silverstone as well. So it'll be interesting. He's, he's looked strong previous to this, um, I guess, is this, is this another argument for Norris to uh, be on the fast track to Red Bull or or do we chalk this up to car upgrades?
0: I, well, I love Lando Norris, so I would love to see that happen because um, realistically, how long is Perez We're really going to keep racing? Uh, I think that it's partially track specific, but also partially track specific for Lando because he always kind of goes well in Austria. Um but uh, Andrea Stella, uh, when he was interviewed after the race, he he mentioned, like, our deg is still higher. So, Lando did his last in on the hards, right? Like, when everybody else is pretty much on the medium. So, like, I think they still suffer from higher DAG kind of uh, relative to other cars, but it's much better and more predictable and manageable. So, they feel like they're at least on the right track. So... I don't know how they'll get on at Silverstone with that dynamic. I think you see um, the same story, right? You're going to see that same sort of Ferrari Haas yeah. and
1: dynamic where they're going to be they're going to be a little bit more strained to be getting into... Agreed. They might get into Q3 again, but race pace, expect to see them potentially I, slide back.
0: I think they will, yeah. But I, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Although I would have argued before this that there were really no more steps left in the wrong direction, so... <laughs> Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, congrats, guys. Good work.
1: Congrats. Um, uh, well, and even grabbing bigger headlines than Norris's standout performance, McLaren teasing the chrome livery for their chrome sponsor and a harkening back to their their early two thousands livery. Um, how excited are are you for that? Do you think this was Norris's pressuring, or do you think this was the the inescapable double entendre, um, given their, their Google sponsorship.
0: So this is like back to the Mika Hackett and car, right? Like the black and silver with the King. Yeah, I, mean, I think
1: Alonzo and, and Hamilton like started it when like the, the reddish orange and, and Chrome, uh, livery days.
0: Let's see. I'm not, they released the full livery, right? I just pulled up one and I'm pretty sure this is the official one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like the chrome accent better than the baby blue, for sure. Ooh, ooh. yeah. I don't. I've never liked the baby blue. So then, obviously, um,
1: more than the black.
0: Well, the thing is, I don't want two light colors on the car. The papaya is classic. You got to keep that, and and then I think you do one or the other of chrome or black, or maybe you know. I, let's see. I'm let, I'm gonna have to see how it hits me. I don't know that I love. I love the, the chrome uh, intake above the seat. I don't know that I love the chrome front wing is my is my gut reaction after looking at it. I think that for me might be a little too far. But
1: do you think that gives so one I would say I disagree on the the sort of golf livery. I love the the orange and baby blue. I think they should have run that much golf? more with them. As-
0: no, That was primarily white. That was white, wasn't it?
1: No, I think that was a lot with the golf like sponsorship was there was that that's what they did like the throwback livery with them as Oh, as well. when,
0: when the baby blue is a primary color. Yeah, yeah when it's the yeah, primary yeah. color, I'm into it, but I don't like it as a secondary color to the orange yeah. is, is my point.
1: Yeah, so I like the golf livery, like the baby blue and orange. I think the orange is kind of almost too light with the chrome where there's like no real accent overall with the car, right? Like the papaya and the chrome versus, you know, the older McLaren livery had that deeper Kind of orangish red, and I felt like that had a much better contrast. I still hate the overall like structure of the livery; it's like too simplistic. But it almost makes me wonder: does it give it the driver any kind of uh, any kind of advantage in terms of a little ricochet glare? You're checking them on you're in your rearview mirror, and now you got the the chrome and the fucking wing fucking flashing them.
0: Well, have to help did- it,
1: it. It helps them somewhat.
0: Well, I don't know about that, but now that I'm looking at the car from, (laughs) yeah, sorry. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I don't know about that. Uh, (laughs) I really, I have nothing to say to that. Sure. Maybe, yeah, maybe it'll blind people. Uh, Maybe, maybe it won't. Uh, The, uh, why wouldn't they have gone with the classic McLaren red? Because that's the same as the chrome red. Because Google Chrome's got like the tricolor circle. They could have gone with the chrome red and then harken back to the actual old, the last time the McLaren was competitive, you know? Um, I mean, they should pay us for this, Gerald. I mean, this are giving us away. For free. I feel
1: like we've we've offered a lot of nuggets here that uh, that we're missing out on some monetization. Yeah. God knows we're never going to be able to monetize this fucking podcast. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But it, again, it's a rules violation. The paint's blinding; you can't see into it. Uh, it does seem yeah, it I,
1: does yeah. seem like a little bit of an unfair advantage. If I'm going to be honest, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the FIA will have some ruling about it seven hours after the race. Um, All right, moving to Haas. Uh, Look, Hulkenberg continues to be the star of the show. Second row start during qualifying, Q3 during the race. Um, You know, unfortunately, once again, slid down the order a bit during the race, but ended up... um, Where did our man finish this race, right? Yeah. Out of the, out of the race, he was the one that caused the, the yellow flag, but, um, you know, DNF for, for Hulk. So again, a little bit under rewarded, but got his points during the sprint. So good on him. Um, again, showing the, the, the characteristics of the car really quick, short stints cannot sustain over the full race distance. Um, and then unfortunately Magnuson kind of lost the spotlight after last season, uh, qualified near the back of the grid with uh, with his buddy DeVries and, and forced to do Mortal Kombat on a week-to-week basis with him, pushed off the track a couple of times uh, by DeVries. Is this the battle that Magnussen deserves after years of um, unnecessary contact with other drivers, or is this starting to get into the to the range of what might be considered cruel and unusual punishment?
0: I don't know if I really am here to litigate what Magnuson deserves and doesn't deserve. I'm just, you're not here to dole out justice and cosmic justice. No, I'm just a little bit sick of them causing DRS trains is my only Haas observation. I'm kind of tired of them in general, man. I I just, they're net value destroyers on the sport and now net value destroyers on the quality of the racing, particularly in the first half. So, um, Mm. I'm getting a little bit tired of them.
1: Do you have the same, uh, feeling about Albon because I mean he's in a similar position oftentimes with the Williams and you know slower in the corners can still hold off folks in the in the high yeah, speed but, straights and so yeah, he create some DRS trains.
0: Yeah but he's doing that later in the race. He's not qualifying fourth. He's not qualifying in the top five. Got and it then, so it's more and then like the wrecking top. guys that are gonna try and finish in the points. You know what I mean? He keeps it to the eighth
1: to twelfth range.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the disparity between their one lap pace and race pace is not nearly as wide as Haas. It's
1: quite unbelievable, actually, with Haas. I mean, it's it's oh, kind of it's... surprising that they can't figure out some slightly more moderated balance between qualifying and race pace. Like, you think you could take it off like a little bit, but clearly is... uh, more complex than, than we
0: appreciate. I Whatever I, I picture, have you seen Ford versus Ferrari? Yes. You know, the, after the first LeMond when they like blew up and they failed and he goes to the Ford office and he's like, we can't break. You know, we can't <laughs> – he's like, we can't slow down. We can't corner. We can't whatever. The Everything broke. The only thing that didn't break was the paint or whatever. And he was like, but, man, on the straights, we're fast. That's what I picture <laughs> Gunther saying to Gene on weekends like this. He's like – yeah, Gene, you know, the car falls, falls to shit over the race course of the race, but man, in the sprints on the straights, we're fucking fast, Gene. Like <laughs> we're fucking fast. It's like, that ain't it, man. Like I just, I'm tired of it. Um, well, before
1: we, we close out on Williams, we gotta, we gotta stop by Alfa Romeo. Um, did they even race this weekend? I'm not entirely sure.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm not really entirely sure that they've participated this season. <laughs> I think we basically had 18 cars on the grid. They like, have been I, totally MIA the last number of races. Snoresville, man. Just complete Snoresville. But in well, other news, Valtteri Bottas got his uh, Mercedes concept car delivered. You see that? I did, yes. That was pretty badass.
1: It was pretty badass. I, I find it interesting that... He's not only in a not Mercedes car, but also not even like a Mercedes customer team. Like he's in a Ferrari customer team yep. at Alpha, and there is zero fucking loyalty. And he's yeah. just like, nah, I'm driving Alpha, well, man. I got this fucking badass Mercedes.
0: I think the problem is clearly that's know, he, not in the contract at all. No, no, he paid for that thing himself, and I'm sure he put the deposit down like two and a half years ago. So I think he was taking delivery come hell or high, high water. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he he already had that prescribed. He's like, by the way, I already have a Mercedes coming and I will be posting that on my Instagram. So yeah, pre-approval from Alfa Romeo compliance department.
0: Did you see what Um, I saw? One of my buddies pointed out to me in one of the pictures he took of the inside of the car. He covered up the Mercedes logo with an emoji on the Instagram post. He's trying to
1: soften it as
0: as best he can. I mean, it was a little tug of cheek, but I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it uh, you know it's not a an Alfa Romeo, let's be honest. Um, all right, well, we already touched on Albon, another great performance from him across the board. Unfortunately, no points in the sprint for him given the pitch strategy and not quite qualifying high enough to to eke out some points. But I think uniquely this week, Sargent finished 13th. I mean, have to take this as a good sign of growth from from Sargent, who's largely sort of Sat at the back of the grid with along with DeVries for most of the season, no? Uh,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got to string them together. And this is also a track that he had a lot of experience uh, on in the lower formulas. So I think it was a recipe for success. But if you look at his race pace uh, compared to Albon, it wasn't as big of a gap as it has been in the past. And uh, he had a clean race, got to give him credit for that. But, um, you know, he's in a position where he's got to start stringing these together. So, um, you know, well, and you two, have two to hope.
1: You have to hope that like the the long series of sort of historic, more traditional racetracks now that we've we've departed the early part of the season and all the street circuits and high risk um, for failure tracks is going to do him a bit of a favor along with all the other rookie drivers. So maybe that doesn't play as much into it as I think, but... I have to think you're you're probably taking your foot off the pedal, knowing that certain drivers were uh, were terminated for for their costly mistakes uh, not too long ago. So I'm sure he just doesn't want to go out that
0: way. I, I don't want to be mean. I want to maybe just zoom out on Sarge for a second, and I don't. I really don't intend to just tear him down. That's I, because he doesn't. There's no reason to. But I gotta be honest. As far as where's your
1: patriotism, Graham? On America's
0: birthday, you haven't even heard my statement yet. Calm, calm down. Uh, As far as what I, the persona I want my flagship American F1 driver to have, I I don't know if Sargent's my guy, man. Like he maybe just be a little bit too vanilla, a little bit silver spoon vibes, kind of. Like I think Colton Herrera might be my guy. Or like there's this weird irony in the fact that like. I hate NASCAR for the most part, but I want the first successful American F1 driver in the last decade that makes it to be, like, from the bayou. Like, I want, like, the biggest effing redneck like you can ever imagine. Big old
1: handlebar mustache. Yeah,
0: dude, starting fights on the grid. Just, like, drinking Bush Light afterwards and
1: (laughs) fuck the champagne. But
0: but he's, like, he's so fast. He's just incredibly fast and reckless. That's what I want, dude. Is a good old freaking stars and stripes, man. Stars and bars, baby. Just going for it. And Sarge is just a little too much of a choir boy for me. I, I well, he's from this, the south, right? He's a Florida man. Yeah, he's from Miami Dade, like where his dad was getting paid, you know, million dollars a year and big corporate salary, paying no income, state income tax. Like,
1: so he's not from he's not from the Glades. No, no. He's not a he's not riding around on a fan boat with wearing crocs. No. Socks.
0: They were they were vaca- reverse snowbirding in Martha's Vineyard for sure. Uh I don't think that again, I, I don't I don't mean to tear the guy down because he hasn't done anything to deserve it and he's racing okay. I just I want I just I want a cowboy. I really want a cowboy and I've been watching some of the IndyCars cars had a, a probably a string of three or four street tracks, non-oval circuits over the last month or so and colton Herta is regularly qualifying on pole like regularly and he's gotten a bit disadvantaged by some bad pit timing and some other things have happened so he hasn't actually won alex polo just running away with indycar driver's championship but Herta is like wicked fast in indycar qualifying uh so
1: well and it's just sad after after the i i don't really have an opinion on how southern I need my, how stereotypical I need my American driver to be. I, I guess, but hey, good on you. Um,
0: yeah, what would your cultural bit... influences tell you? You want your driver <laughs> to come to the grid followed by like a mariachi band? Is that, is that way you lead? But you hate Perez so much. Well, we I got can't Perez, so I'm out. good with yeah. that. Like, he's our North you American. Him. He's you our, hate him.
1: Growing up in Arizona, Perez is my, he's my North American driver. I, if I'm you... just, I don't hate him. I'm just disappointed. If you, if you just if
0: if I come into the racing unqualified office one day and you've decided to plant your flag in Camp Perez, I am going to absolutely flip my shit. After all the crap you said, you made your bed. You better lay in it. I don't want you joining the team at this point. You're not. Welcome. I'm
1: critical because I care. No, him. that's why you, you it's because I care. Um. It is kind of sad, though, as you think about those two drivers, Hertha and Palau, looking really good. I mean, they're still probably second and third in line to what seems like Lawson, who would be potentially the one to replace DeVries at AlphaTauri, right? And so as much like fanfare as there was about all the entrance of new drivers last year and and who from um, IndyCar might be pulled up, it's hard to see where in the next year that that's possible. So... Um, as much as I'd support seeing either of those guys in there as well, I think we're, I think we probably have by and large, the grid we do, unless, unless one of them sneaks into what seems to be the, the AlfaTari seat at the moment, but AlfaTari, um, being said, moving us along, whew, uh, man, rough weekend for those boys, DeVries down in 20th, Sonoda. Going long, I think on lap one, right into turn four, into the gravel. I think yeah, both of them race. getting time penalties in the race after the yeah. race. DeVries wreaking havoc, wreaking havoc on uh, on Magnuson once again. I mean, was this their worst worst race of the season?
0: Uh, I mean, they've had some sneakers, so <laughs> it's hard to say it's the worst. I mean, both cars finished, so, uh, they can't True. be the worst on that alone. So yeah, uh, their lows are pretty damn low, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel very, very confident in their place as a 10th in the constructor standings. I, I think that's a, basically a certainty at this point, if I'm honest. Yeah. I'm,
1: I mean, given Williams is sitting right in front of them and they only seem on the up, uptrend. They gotta get seven whole points to to can, pass Alpha. I, I can, don't know. Yeah, they're in a tough I, spot.
0: Can I make a side comment on Williams? If at risk of going backwards for a second, of I course. am a big James Vows fan. I just want to put that out there. On what on what basis? Uh, a couple interviews, you know, lots of data I've been gathering, you know, over the course okay. of about thirty <laughs> minutes of YouTube watching. I really like James Vows. Think he's got great leadership philosophy. He's refreshingly candid. He answers questions very directly in interviews tells you what he thinks, doesn't just always stick to the company lines, seems very smart, seems like the kind of guy I'd want to work for, a big organization, gets the technology, probably makes good hires. I think if I'm, you know, f- force ranking a list of the young up-and-comers of team principals in F1, I'm probably, I'm going to put my chips on James Val in terms of like 10, 10 years from now, who's going to still be around and have a track record of success. Williams is in good hands. And I I also liked Jos Capito, but he was arguably on the back nine of his career maybe later. James Val man. Young buck, hungry, gets it, understands what excellence looks like, seems like a good leader. I I, I feel good about him.
1: And Capito seemed more like um, like the people leader, right? Like the cultural leader.
0: He he was the gap. Yeah.
1: Yeah, more than the... James seems more like he 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 understands the infrastructure. He has more of like the multi-year yeah. strategy and I like that he's been vocal about, you know, the perceived inequities of the sport in particular their lack of infrastructure, right? And the cost capital implications for that. So it seems like he's pushing the sort of the regulatory, political bounds well, but then anytime you hear him talk about sort of the development strategy and how they're really not worried about a race to race view, but more so what is that that learning journey look like to be able to give them the yeah. data to successfully develop the car. It just seems very wise. And, and so I, I, would agree with you. I think he's doing a good job.
0: I think that's well said that Yost was the, he was the interim head coach who was meant to just keep the troop morale high. Yeah. You know? Keep, keep what, the people
1: around who they needed yeah. around, keep decent drivers if they could.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And he did that. He did his job. And then they brought in the guy who could have the five to 10 year vision and be benchmarked against the best teams on the grid. It actually, if you think about it in that way, from the team management standpoint, it's actually pretty strategic of them.
1: Well, it seems like they just didn't have the right hire that they wanted with that at the time. Like he wasn't available at that time.
0: It was like anybody, but Claire, basically like we just got to get away from this former leadership structure. And
1: yeah, yeah. And they knew that like coming from outside the sport, he wasn't gonna have the the depth of knowledge of like what were all the pieces it took to to be successful long term. And and it seemed like they were just waiting for that. And you're right, they they had the the stopgap guy. Yep. Any uh any other arbitrary people that you'd like to to praise Sorry. or denigrate this, I, this, no, this, this week?
0: No, no, I'm 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 good. No, I, I think rough. it was a great sidebar.
1: Really uh the def- I'm glad to see it. You,
0: yeah,
1: you're digging deep I, I, in the uh sidebars.
0: I thought you were going to sidebar us into the NASCAR race on the streets of Chicago at some point, but maybe, maybe you were going to get there.
1: I mean, we were just rolling right along. I had totally forgotten about it, but I know you followed that closely this weekend. I did not. I mean, I saw a couple of the highlights, but give me the,
0: give me the key takeaways. Followed it closely being, I watched a 15 minute highlight reel on YouTube about what transpired. (laughs) My general takeaway is it's hilarious to watch NASCAR Uh, Well, first off, how pissed am I in Chicago from the noise pollution? Second off, it's hilarious to watch a wet race and watch these cars that don't have any downforce and can't corner basically just like 30% of the time run straight into the tire barrier on the exit of the turn. And what I found most hilarious was how often the cars got pinched underneath the tires, and then they would try and reverse out of it and like get stuck, or at one point they would get out but then rip their front bumper off. It was great. Um, street, well, this is where there was like the that. giant
1: pileup, right?
0: Yes, yes. The whole track basically was blocked. <laughs> it's I like mean, that scene in the Cars movie where like everybody but two drivers gets taken out. Well, and the yeah. track
1: kind of reminded me of, I guess, what is it, Singapore, where it's like almost like two squares and then they come together like what seems like the same intersection. So, I mean, not the not the it's most the
0: right
1: ex- not the most exciting like track layout either. And in terms of like a street circuit, it's got to be incredibly hard. I mean, just nonstop right handers based like 90 degree right handers. And so I, let's just say all the criticism you can give to F1, the FIA, safety, whatever, you have not seen something like the, the massive pile up um, in a very long time. And I think as, as far as it goes to non-oval racing and mixed conditions, f one's superiority and really any open wheel racing seems far superior than what NASCAR has to offer.
0: It's a good lesson that you don't force your way into street circuits just to be in a particular city because the quality of the racing will ultimately suffer Um, the ones that are true street like road car street are on the calendar as they should be for traditional purposes. But if you're putting new ones on, they're going to look more like Jetta, which is semi-permanent. Yeah. Like Montreal Jetta. And yeah, yeah, right. And that's where you get the kind of wider variety of the turns. And yeah, the Singapore is a good comp though. Um, I hate that track, god.
1: <laughs> just from every a time perspective,
0: come, every time it comes up on the calendar for my fake seasons, I simulate it and skip across it. I hate I will not <laughs> drive that damn track. I hate it so much, man. The third sector is a is an effing nightmare. I just hate it so much. Oh. And it's always <laughs> raining. It's always raining. It's so terrible. Yeah, the street
1: and raining is not a fun a fun combination no. unless you're on this side of the steering wheel. So, um, all right. Well, I think we've covered off on all the teams. Let's round it out with, uh, as usual, personal podium DNF of the week. Who do you have on your podium?
0: Uh, first on the podium is Red Bull's back rear, uh, uh, back rear tire gun man. Uh, second is the back left tire gun man. And third is the front right tire gun man.
1: Yeah. What about front Wanna- left? He
0: doesn't get any love. Ah, just roll the dice. Sorry about it, buddy. He'd been fourth, <laughs> but no medals for you. I'm sure you did a great job. Uh yeah, Red Bull pit crew automatic. I think they had the lowest average pit stop time and then, you know, or clutch when it mattered. So, yeah. Nice.
1: Well, for myself, uh I had Norris, Hulkenberg and Leclerc. Uh I mean Norris for the obvious reason throughout the whole weekend, good finish for him. Hulkenberg crushing it in qualifying and the man knows how to set up a DRS train. And uh and Leclerc, look, Good track, good qualifying for him, held his position, held off signs, didn't listen to his gave his, his race strategist a, a firm no, and um uh, and ultimately came home in second. So good on him.
0: Nice. All right, and how about uh how about your DNF of the week? Honestly, it's hard not to pick Sonoda for lap one just based on the buffoonery of that. Uh uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go Sonoda.
1: Well, along the same lines, I got to go. AlphaTauri as a whole—I mean, just top to bottom—tough going at the moment. So we'll uh, we'll see if they can pull themselves out of the out of the tailspin. That's not looking good. Well, a lot to unfold. A lot of new developments in Silverstone. Uh, new upgrades for different teams, and as we said throughout the episode, I think it'll be uh, a bit of a, a reference point against what we saw in Austria, and and give us a contrast as to how the rest of the season will, uh, play out. But with that,
0: I, lo- I love yeah. Silverstone. I just, I, I love Silverstone. It's like the Indianapolis 500, like the British Indianapolis 500, like everybody's in an RV or like at a campground. The track is on an old freaking military RAF airfield. The turns have cool shit names that aren't hard to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> and are high speed and dynamic and risky and danger awaits plenty of overtaking. It's a great effing track, man. Um, Every year. Silverstone is an absolute banger and it rains a lot. So I was going to say this
1: whole like pre summer stint in the calendar. I know you don't love, uh, the hungaro ring, but the hungaro ring with rain is a plus for sure. Then you had silverstone. Yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good genre with spa. So yeah, good. Uh, Good, several it, races on the horizon.
0: It, if you, if you uh if you if you want some good content, you know to get you uh get you going at some point later this week, uh, pictures of George Russell emerging on the internet, dressed in the full uh, flight suit like friggin' mm. Top Gun, you know, because he was in the hangars uh, hanging out with the RAF, uh, mm. you know, doing a little Mercedes promo. And I got to say, he wore it pretty well. That thing looked tailored. It, it looked like they tailored it for him. Um, Whew. It looked like he belonged in an F-16. It was pretty high. Man, I need yeah. to
1: get myself a glass of water because I'm getting thirsty.
0: <laughs> oh, well, man. Talk, I will talk, be, talk, talk to me, Goose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will be quick on that as soon as we jump over here. So with that being said, another one in the books. See you after Silverstone.
0: Always a pleasure, my man. Peace. Likewise. Peace.